Hello there. Welcome to another episode of the Random Joe Show. It is episode nine. We are already here. You see these dark bags under my eyes? It's not because I've been staying up till three in the morning playing Destiny a bunch this week. Or maybe it is. I know you can't see him, but my goodness, I'm tired. Let's 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 get started here. We it's May 11th. This is episode nine. We're we're talking about video games. Video games are great. Today is finally the day that I do an official Destiny 2 show. If you're unfamiliar with my roots, most of you listening probably know me from these circles. Uh, I'm a clan leader and uh, original member of the Destiny Reset podcast uh, community. And if you like Destiny and maybe found the show without knowing about them, you should go check them out. DRP is definitely my home. And this podcast really arose as a way to do a project revolving around clearing out my backlog when I'm not playing Destiny, which I'm playing Destiny all the time, especially lately with this newest expansion, Warmind. And so I I knew that this week I was not playing anything but Warmind. Um, Many of you knew that that was what I was going to do as well. So we just figured, let's just play Warmind and talk about it. So this week, uh, breaking from kind of the norm, Warmind's an expansion. If you don't know much about it, it is the ex- the newest expansion from for the game Destiny 2. And we'll do what we normally do. We'll talk about what it is, what I liked, what I didn't, my overall impressions, and then we'll go from there to uh, talk about other games I played this week. And back to you know next week, we'll go back to kind of doing a game in the backlog or a new game that's coming out. Um, that I'm interested in, and we'll kind of talk about those things. They'll be more focused on what I typically do here on the channel. And then at the end of those shows, I still talk about Destiny. I talk about Destiny basically every day, every week. So that'll still be a component to it. But uh, we're going to spend this episode really diving in fairly deeply into Destiny 2 and its uh, newest expansion. Now, next week's game is going to be Into the Breach. It is a game that was made by FTL developers. And uh, if you played that game, it was a space sim where you're moving through space and random events and and things will happen to you. Sometimes you get attacked by aliens. Sometimes there's like a solar flare. Sometimes there's all kinds of different things. And it's a roguelike. Now this game is, in my understanding, it's it's got some roguelike elements, but it's a turn-based strategy game. If you think of like an 8x8 grid, almost like a checkerboard with cities and buildings and enemies that are moving around and you're fighting against aliens in mech suits, but you're not fighting in in an action type sense, but in a a strategy kind of moving your characters and, and almost like a fire emblem type way of dealing with the combat of those things. So that's kind of what that game is. I've been intrigued by it. IGN gave it a nine. It's been doing extremely well in terms of critical re- review and reception from many of the sources that I really like and, and follow. So I want to encourage you to pick that up and try it out with us next week. But this week, it's all about Warmind. And uh, there will be one follow-up episode to this Warmind discussion. Uh, I wanted to have Dreadnought on this week. Dreadnought's one of the members of, of our community. He lives really close to me. So what we were going to do is try to get together, and this was also an opportunity for me to expand my skill set in having a guest on the podcast. So we want to try to put that out sometime in the next week or so, uh, whenever we can get together, 
and uh, hopefully that'll be on the feed sometime before the next episode, will be essentially a conversation about Warmind. And we'll probably spend 45 minutes to an hour discussing kind of what we think about Destiny, where it's going, what the game is about, and kind of, it'll be more meta. It'll be more kind of focused on the trajectory of the game, what the game can do moving forward, and what the aspects of Warmind that kind of show us the direction of the game mean for the future of the series. And and we'll talk about personally what we liked, what we disliked about the current expansion and kind of where we fall on the plans for the future that we know about and the trajectory that we see the game moving on. So you'll definitely want to catch that if you're interested in more Destiny content. Um, that'll be hitting the channel sometime uh, soon. And hopefully it'll drop next week, but we'll see. Now, if you're new and you're thinking, okay, this is a lot of information about Destiny and all these different things. This show is a video game book club. We play through games together. We discuss them on Twitter, Discord, and I incorporate your thoughts into this show, which I record every week on Saturday. As I mentioned before, this game, uh, this game of the week this week is an expansion for my favorite game to sink an egregious amount of hours into Destiny 2. And uh, as is my usual practice, I'll go over those different normal categories. The show basically functions as what I liked, what I disliked, my overall impressions, what else I've been playing. So let's get started because I got a lot of thoughts about this thing and it's very unlikely I'm going to get this under an hour. Let's start with the first question. What is Warmind? Well, Warmind is the second expansion for Destiny 2, which is a looter shooter RPG. It's got MMO tendencies. It's, it's very socially based and encourages a lot of cooperative play. There are six-player raid dungeons. There are three-player cooperative strikes. There are solo-player or up to three-player story missions. There is Crucible, which is competitive play, but you don't play against other people, although you can now with private matches. But either way, the whole idea is playing together with your friends, sometimes competitive, sometimes cooperative, sometimes with these strong puzzles and raid challenges and sometimes really leveraging its RPG muscles, sometimes really leveraging its shooter muscles. It's kind of a mixture of all those things. Now, in terms of the basic setting of the, of the game, if you're unfamiliar with Destiny, it's set in space in the future, and you channel kind of weapons and space magic to fight against a myriad of enemies. It plays out very similarly to what you would expect from a Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's almost like its own comic book universe. Each expansion doesn't necessarily drive the story forward, but often provides you with a new enemy to interface with that has varying different uh, thoughts and goals and ways in which it's going to function. And so, for instance, you might fight an enemy that has to do with the Reef, which is this one location in Destiny where, you know, they have a dispute there and this you know, this Kel rises up against the oppressors that he had and, and throws off their, their authority and begins slaughtering indiscriminately and, and forging a new power to try to rise up against the Guardians, right? And so you have to go to the reef where he has risen up out of captivity and find out why he was in prison there and go and get him back. And this then brings you another set of characters, another like page of the world, but that adventure doesn't necessarily move the story forward. In the same way, Warmind is the story that takes place on Mars. And at the polar ice caps, one of the effects of the Traveler, which was Destiny 2's main story, Traveler was bound, 
like essentially resurrected, woke up uh, to face the foe that had arisen before it. And now this wave of light has now impacted all these different areas around the universe. And these different areas are waking up and coming to new conflict with new enemies. This doesn't necessarily move the story forward. It's just another group of enemies as we learn more about them and how they interact with the rest of the world. So that's kind of what it is in terms of the setting. Uh, ultimately, it gives you a really unique spin on the looting RPG part because certain strengths of your characters and certain gear can be levied effectively in various modes. And so every piece of gear that you have, every ability you have, you can use in any mode in the game. And they all function fairly, you know, consistently throughout those modes. And that's, I think, one of the things that separates Destiny so dramatically from other games that are similar to it, like The Division or Call of Duty or Halo, right? Those are all shooters. Those are, you know, Division is a third-person shooter. It's kind of like an MMO. It's different than something like Warframe because it has all these different modes, but it encourages and incentivizes you to be an omnivore, to play a little bit of everything. And all of the content in the game has this certain very high level of of standard quality. And I think that that's one of the things I enjoy so much about it is it has all these different facets and, and, and aspects that really are uh, really well made on every level. And you're really encouraged to kind of sample and pick and choose a little bit of everything. And that's, I think, really important with, uh, with making that game appealing to somebody like me. Um, just the variety that it has. Uh, the designers of the game have have touted that the goal is a essentially a, a game for every mood is what they want Destiny 2 to be, uh, and a game for every um, kind of like the idea of social setting and difficulty and kind of balancing that out. A game for every mood, and I forget what the other one is, but it's something similar to that. But they want you to be able to play something fun with your friends, to do something relaxing, do something co you know complex and intense. And Destiny 2 has that texture and that variety that is rarely in other games. Now, it, it's unfolded as a game with frequent free updates and no subscription fee, no subscription fee but it, it really does kind of function like a, like a subscription-based MMO. There is substantial paid content that comes out every few months, but it's fairly, fairly similar to the kind of release schedule you might expect for a game like Warframe or a game like uh, even World of Warcraft, but just kind of downgraded and delivered a little differently because of the fact it doesn't have a subscription fee. Now, Warmind added a new campaign, a new story campaign, a new destination to go to, the Hellas Basin in Mars, a new public event, the Warsat, which was back from Destiny 1, a new activity, Escalation Protocol, a new raid lair, Spire of Stars, new gear, new quests, quality of life updates like vendor progression, exotic masterworks, private matches, a tweak leveling system, and more. So there's a lot in this expansion, and this is just an incredibly meaty expansion. This is easily the largest $20 expansion that we've ever received in Destiny. And and for it to be a, you know, three-month, four-month scheduled expansion of this level of quality is, is pretty staggering. It almost feels like a double expansion. Um, so one of the things I liked, honestly, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot that I liked. First, the music, and I gotta—I have to come back to this. The art team and the music team in in Bungie—they are second to none. They're second to none. The locales are gorgeous. The music is pretty much perfect. It's just spot on. 
It's varied. It's interesting. And it goes back to that idea of how do you build a game that's going to be you know, useful and enjoyable for every mood that you have, for every group of friends you have, for every type of game mode you want to play in that moment. Part of it that makes it so good is the music. It's atmospheric. It sets the tone. It powerfully communicates about the world that Destiny takes place in. This has always been one of the strongest features of Destiny. It is so polished. It is so pristine. And the music and the art are of a level and, and quality that is just staggering for how frequently they update content and how fast they are delivering these, these expansions and these new locales. Destiny has always looked great. It has always been a game that has been art and, and you know centric and that the art and the music have propelled it and allowed the, the rest of the game and its execution to, to work in part because they just set the tone so well. Connected to this, the uh, sound design in this game continues to enhance every facet of the experience. There are little things like the sound when the icy hive uh, get when you get a headshot on one of them and it makes this shattering glass um, ice sound and it's it's just really crisp and like good. It, it it just incentivizes you to be able to get that headshot and to and to line that up and make sure that you're playing excellently. Um, the sounds of the new sniper enemies are really interesting and distinct. The sounds of some of the guns that got changed are really good. There's a lot here that is excellently done. What else? The campaign was short-ish. Now, some people are overemphasizing this fact, but it was five missions. That puts it squarely in the center of a Destiny expansion release. The first expansion, Dark Below, was three-mission campaign. House of Wolves had five. Rise of Iron had five. This one has five. Taken King and Curse of Osiris both had an eight-mission campaign. Now, Taken King was much larger than Curse of Osiris, which was the expansion we received in the fall, or in the winter, rather. And really what happened was that Curse of Osiris and, and, and this expansion, Warmind, really have kind of a similar amount of story beats and story missions. The difference is that Curse of Osiris placed all of those within the framework of the main campaign, and they're moved in Warmind to being focused towards the post-campaign, the end game. And, and I think that that decisive shift becomes very obvious because it's really throughout the whole game that they are moving the attention. They don't care if the story is five missions because what you're going to get after those five missions is, is where they put the effort the end game, the progression, the movement of the character to come into a, a state of power. And that's something that really wasn't present the same way in Curse of Osiris. Even though the campaign was much longer, it took away from the end game. Whereas this one, the campaign's the right size. It's good campaign. I liked it. I thought the story was interesting. At the end of the day, though, they moved a lot of that content into the back half, which I think is a, a positive shift and a good shift. I liked having the eight-mission campaign in Curse of Osiris. I liked the five-mission campaign here. I like the intense focus on the post-campaign that you get in Warmind, and that's really where its strength is. Uh, the Anna Bray character, I, would, I do want to mention this. I, I really like the Anna Bray character. I liked her. She was real sassy. She was very empathetic. Um, she was very brave. And you just can't help but root for her. 
you see her desiring to go back into the past to find out who she is, which she's not supposed to do. You see her being told what she's supposed to do, and she responds in you know typical Anna fashion by disregarding it. And you get this sense that she is heroic and brave, but not in a way that's like self-centered or that seeks to endanger others. Um, but she's earnest, and, and she's a great character. I really liked the direction they took with her and feel like her presence in the DLC ends up being very strong. I liked her as a as an NPC and as a uh, as a destination vendor much more than I did Brother Vance, uh, and much more than I did even the characters in, uh, in Curse of Osiris. I liked the story in Curse of Osiris, like the campaign, a little bit better. Um, but this one's still great, and Anna Bray is the star of the show for sure. She's phenomenal. She's a great character. Really loved her uh, her contribution to the universe and to the game. It's great. Focus on the quests as a means to explore the story and the destination and obtain gear continues to be a strong point for Destiny. Ever since they implemented quest-based system, which was essentially a house of wolves, they did a little bit, they kind of tinkered with it in Dark Below. Uh, It really was not present in any meaningful way in uh, in vanilla Destiny, other than maybe the Thorn Bounty. Um, But they really have kind of developed this and increased it and this continues to be a strong point for this game. Them in, you know, in, increasing the number of these things and just adding more of them to the game is always a net positive. I've I've just enjoyed the quest so very much. It's been great to do them. It's been great to have a to-do list. It's been great to have things to grind and things to figure out. That's great. Another thing I liked. There are a lot more methods for ancillary progression in this DLC. Things like quests, which I mentioned, collectibles, and those sorts of activities, whether it's other story missions, whether it's crucible rankings, whether it's vanguard rankings, whether it's vanity rewards, whether it's rare drops from Nightfall or Escalation Protocol, there are so many different avenues to accumulate items, objects, gear, and they're so different from one another that it creates this incredibly potent loot and progression cycle. Uh, this game really hooked me good this week. And a lot of that owes to the fact that it's not just one thing that you're doing. By the time you get start getting frustrated with and like, oh, I don't want to do this thing, there's always something different to do. There's always something different to invest your time in. And that time feels most of the time respected and worthwhile in terms of its investment in moving your character forward and making you better. Uh, I mentioned this just a minute ago, but the focus on post-campaign content gives the hobbyist players a lot to do and a lot of reasons to do it. This is a huge positive. We want to see more of this. Exotic Masterworks. This was the one thing, I think I might have mentioned this last week on the show. This is my most anticipated aspect of this expansion, and it did not disappoint. I want to find more of these as they are extremely rare. After many hours of play this week, I have found one of the catalysts. But the fact that they're that rare makes the drop exciting. It provides a reason to learn how to utilize the weapon more effectively and gives a huge payoff in the masterwork bonus once you equip the catalyst and fulfill the the objectives and the criteria that it encourages you to do. The one I got was Borealis. I got it from literally 
the second mission. <laughs> I killed an elite enemy and he dropped it. And I spent the next couple days using Borealis constantly. Even tonight I was I finished it out. And once you equip the catalyst, it allows you to generate orbs on double kills, which is really necessary in high-level content in the game. But in addition to that, you have a new bounty that will give you an incentive like for Borealis to increase the reload speed dramatically if I was able to accomplish this objective. And the objective was get 150 kills with each element. Borealis is a sniper rifle that if you hold down the reload button, it will change its element, which only a couple guns in the game can do. It also has a couple other perks related to its damage increasing when you match the shield correctly. Now, I've never really used Borealis. There wasn't a reason to. They also adjusted and fixed the sniper flinch, and it's very obvious. It's a lot more friendly to use, and it's a lot more enjoyable to use this gun. And it was great to have this objective that caused me to have to work toward it. And when I finished it, it not only has a glossy, cool little emblem, it's something that I invested time in, and it demonstrates my mastery over use of that weapon. And honestly, I'm going to incorporate it more and more into my loadout because I really like using it now. I didn't use it before. I didn't understand how to how to leverage its strengths. I didn't get used to its sniper scope. I didn't get used to its its usefulness. But I really began to, and I think that this is one of the strongest aspects of this expansion. It's not even an expansion thing. This is just a quality of life increase. But I love this, and I, I had a very strong experience with these exotic masterworks. Really, really enjoyed using them and can't wait to get more of these catalysts to drop. Also, the Crucible ranking system is awesome, and it incentivizes long-term play and improvement in smart ways. There's the Valor and Glory systems. The Valor system is just an experience system. The more you play, the more points you get, and you'll get rank ups, and you'll increase your, your standing. And as you increase your standing, you'll get to the point where you can max it, and then you can basically re-roll it, reset it, and that allows you to obtain new exclusive rewards, such as uh, vanity items like a ghost or I forget what else is available. Um, and you got an emblem that tracks how many times you've done that, all that jazz. Uh, I really like that, and the way that they tied ornaments to the progression there is, is also excellent. There's also the glory ranking. The glory ranking is the competitive uh, playlist. And as you ascend through the ranks, each rank has a new item or weapon or vanity reward that you can get. But the, the trick is that unlike the valor system that increases as you play, regardless of winning or losing, although it goes faster when you win, this one goes up when you win, down when you lose. Really focuses on you coming in with the team and winning. Uh, I'm not gonna. I don't know how much time I'm actually gonna spend doing that. I have not even played it yet, but I'm really interested to see how this all works out. And I think it's a great thing for competitive players to have incentive to go and do it. Now I'm gonna try to take a crack at it a little bit because there's an extremely desirable gun that is available for reaching rank four. I don't think I'm gonna do it. <laughs> I'm not very good, but I'd like to try. And having that incentive built into the game and even the weapons that you can get along the way that aren't necessarily as good, but they're special. That's the kind of stuff that's really important. 
I'm glad that they're doing this. I'm glad they've implemented it. I'm glad they've added it to the game. Additionally, Vanguard ranks, they are underdeveloped. I will say that again, they are underdeveloped. I love the concept. I love the move in that direction, and I'll tell you what, I'm glad they did it. Even as much as I wish they would have gone farther and done more, I'm so glad they added this to the game. These are seasonal ranks where as you rank up your Vanguard, which this is what I would be doing, lots of strikes. This is for doing strikes. I love strikes. They're the three-player kind of cooperative mission that you can match make into and do, um, and they're great. I love strikes. And the fact that you can have your rank increase showing your dedication and that you can unlock only, you know, specific items that will demonstrate your commitment to enjoying and, and playing that playlist are enjoyable to me, and I'm glad that they're doing it, and I'm glad that they are uh, rewarding and incentivizing that. Now, my only hope is that the Crucible ones look so cool. They have unique emblems, unique little banners, depending on which stage you're in. They have a cool counter that appears in the corner when you're queuing for a match that you can see how far you are from the next rank, and what's there for the Vanguard, it's just rank-ups of the packages which means that some people were able to just dump a bunch of reputation that they had saved up previously into it and get to rank 50 immediately and buy the cool ship. I don't do that. I, I don't keep anything. So for me, it's going to be a little while. I just got to rank five today and I bought the ghost and I'm excited about it. I, I like the fact that this system exists. Please more, please more, please just double down and make this thing better because it's great. And I want more of it. This Couples with the idea of ornaments in general. Adding these ornaments in Season 3, tremendous boon to the game. I love it when they add ornamentation. I love it when they add the ability to make your Guardian look different. They're saving us on Vault Space. They're saving us on the ability to, you know, we can kind of swap back and forth between these things. Shaders look different on them. And the new Vanguard shaders are really cool. The new, the new shaders are all great. So I'm really liking kind of the, just the quality of life stuff, the extra things to do. What else do we have? Eververse improvements. They're a great step toward being able to purchase a rotating stock. And really this is, you know, even though there's some RNG here, that it definitely will increase profit. It does so in a way that feels fair with the prismatic matrix system and the knockout system. The way it works is, Every week there's 10 featured items in what's called the Prismatic Matrix. Each week they're going to give you one for playing. And when you play, it's not you don't have to play that long to get your first charge. You can then expend it to get one random item from that pool of 10 items. And if you want to pull extra, you know, on the slot machine, I'm, I'm making the slot machine motion with my arm, if you can't see that. Uh, once you do that, you can pay for extra ones. And the idea though is that this week there was a really cool exotic ship that was featured as one of the 10 items. Now I didn't get it, but the, the cool thing is that if you receive any of those other 10 items at any point in time this season, they are struck from that knockout list. And that means that you might get to a spot where you have nine of the items and that one item remains and you can either use your free one or you can just spend the $2 and know that you're going to get it. And that's something that hasn't existed before. And I think this is once again, just a continued step that Eververse does. And very few people I feel give this credit. Bungie continues to design their microtransaction system that 
is going to make money, but it benefits the player who invests the most time most. And that's what you want. The more you play, the more things are on that knockout list, the more you're going to get the rare item that you want. And you might be able to pay a couple bucks to get that one item and know you're going to get it. The more you play, the more likely that scenario is going to happen. My hope is that this would make a lot of money for Bungie. I'm probably going to buy a couple things at near, you know, later on in the season just because I'm really thankful for the way they're handling this, this set of, of features. So when I get some spending money, I'm going to do that. It's going to be great. Let's see. So Eververse improvements, uh, I mentioned baseline exotic buffs are exciting and they reintroduce some underperforming options to prominence. And I'm really glad for this. The, the Graviton Lance is already <laughs> the bell of the ball in Crucible, but there's some other big winners like the Tractor Cannon has been great to use. Um, the Darcy Sniper Rifle. Of all things, the Darcy. This was like the worst exotic in the game a few months ago, and it is great now. Looking forward to trying that out some more. Some of these exotics just feel exciting and fun. I can't wait to use them all. I've been kind of enjoying them a little bit at a time, playing with them you know, one at a time and hoping to get the catalyst so that I can start using them more at length and kind of saving them for that experience. But I can't wait to play with more of them. These buffs are awesome. They're very welcomed, and I'm glad that they did it. The sandbox feels extremely good right now. I'm sure that in like three weeks, we'll all be crying that they should nerf something else, but whatever. It's good right now. Uh, new exotics and gear are great so far. And they're a joy to obtain, and they provide dynamic new options like the quest exotics, or they continue to add more quality stuff to an already great pool. Thank you. Make more, please. Spire of Stars. This is the raid layer. Now, I have not played this, but I watched some people bang their head against the wall for a little while. Um, the story behind this is that the raid layer came out on Friday, and as of this recording, I think there's like 30 teams that have beaten it, which is kind of a deceiving number even because many of the teams that have beaten it are comprised of people who have beaten it earlier on the weekend. This thing is tough. It's brutal. It's punishing, but it's all the right kinds of difficulty. It is level hard here early on. My characters are in the like early 350s because I haven't done any raids. I haven't done any trials. Many of the people who are competing in this, they've been grinding out and trying to get the best bang for their buck. They've done 9, 10, 15 raids this week just to get their level up a little higher so they can be ready for this. And it's still kicking their butts. And that's because it's not just difficult because the numbers are high. It's difficult because it's incredibly mechanically dense and complex. It requires great communication, great awareness, great skill and execution, both on the individual and team level. And that's exactly what I think I want in a raid, and many do. It's been very challenging and very difficult. And I think from what people have said, it seems to be a great success. I can't wait to play it. It looks tremendously fun, tremendously exciting to try out, and, uh, and tremendously demanding. And, and I'm looking forward to giving it a shot, looking forward to seeing the last lair. It seems like as they've introduced raids and raid lairs, they have just gotten better and better and better. I've loved this chapter of raids and the way that they've approached it in Destiny 2 this year one. I think they've done a phenomenal job 
And if if Spire of Stars is anything anywhere near as good as the previous one, um, which from what I understand and from what I've heard, it's better. Uh, this is just going to be so much fun to play. And, and this gets to my my last like plus. I know we're like really far in. You're like you're still doing things you loved. I like this game a lot. The leveling grind is a little punishing, and we'll get into that in the negatives. But I think overall it's a plus. I think that it enabled things like very few people making it through the raid. I think it enabled things like players like me who played quite a bit this week being fairly low level. And I don't think that's a problem. I kind of came around on this. Um, th there is a there's a space when you hit that soft cap. It You hit it like a brick wall. And it is hard to move beyond it. And... Once you kind of get used to it, once you kind of once you start seeing the numbers move up, even though they're not moving up very much, once you start seeing the numbers move up on your blues and on your legends, once you see that soft cap kind of follow you, just as an explanation for how this works, your character level increases pretty dramatically as you move through. You play different content, and things are going to be dropping above your your overall level, and they'll drop above your overall level until you're 340 power, which is a, an average of all of the different gear you have. So if you've got a 340 shotgun and a 340 sniper or a 340 uh, auto rifle and a 340 scout rifle, you've got all of them 340. The average is 340 and that's what you're at. Now, eventually when you hit 340, things are going to stop dropping above your level unless they come from a milestone. The initial blue cap is 335. The initial purple cap is 340. And getting, what happens after that is that once you get above that soft cap, the blues will trail behind you at five behind your unmodded light. Now, you can increase your light by five by having mods, special mods in all of your gear, which will increase you by five, but it won't actually increase the drops. So essentially, the blues will be following you at almost 10 behind. And once you get to that point, though, where you break 350 with mods, so 345, your blues and your legendaries will start moving together. Getting to that point is, is, is difficult. It's challenging. It's definitely grindy. It's pretty punishing. But I think overall it is a plus. I think this is something that's good for the game. It's not so alienating, and I think it will alienate some players. I think there's a lot of people that will say, screw it, I'm out when they can't make it from 340 to 350, because it is hard. But overall, I think this is a move in the right direction, and it starts to pick up afterwards. Once you kind of get the feel of the pace of the leveling, it, it feels a lot better. Now, this gets into things I dislike, because I kind of dislike the leveling grind, but I think overall I came around on it. This is kind of my main contention, my main beef. There seems to be a focus away from the solo player and onto fire team activities. Even stuff like heroic strikes and escalation protocol, which are kind of presented as a match made, you can do it solo kind of activity, are not fun solo. In fact, they're barely possible solo. In escalation protocol, I want to say that they're not possible solo. We'll get into that later. <laughs> But ultimately, this feels like they're taking things that used to be avenues of growth and investment that used to even just be options 
they're taking them away from the solo player and giving them instead to the fire team, to the group of people that are on, on comms, talking with each other, and playing with their friends. It seems like the game has shifted from being helpful to those players that are investing in you know fire team activities to being required to really make progress. And Heroic Strikes and Escalation are, are two of the greatest examples where those, in, in, in previous Destiny releases, those would have been things you could do as a solo player. One's in a public space, it's an endgame activity that is kind of, you get the idea that it's going to be something that you're going to want to participate in, even as a solo guy. Heroic Strikes have commonly been known as that thing you jump into and you queue up with a couple blueberries and you just go you go do the thing. Barely possible anymore. It's really hard. And and ultimately, and, and I kind of come around on this too, one of the complaints about Destiny is that it favored the solo player too much in Destiny 2. They gave too much to that player who wanted to play like I want to play most of the time, which is by myself, listen to a podcast, just kind of doing whatever. It's not built that way anymore. It's very, it's a lot more similar, it's a lot closer to what we had in Destiny 1, particularly in Year 1, and it's it's maybe even closer to something like the Taken King, but it does seem like there's a, there's a sense that I have that They've taken some of the stuff that they had given me. And, and granted, in Destiny 2, those were things that were previously given to fire teams that then they said, let's give some more things to the solo player. Feels like they took away things that were allocated to me as a solo-leaning player and gave it to fire teams. And, and that is a frustrating thing, but I don't know if I can really... I don't know if I can really give it as a, as a negative to the game, right? I don't I don't know if I can really levy that as as a serious major complaint. But it is something to note. That if if that's the way that you like to play and if you liked Destiny 2 being less demanding, this expansion moves in a very different direction. Now, at the same time, the the broader community seems very happy with this. Many people who left Destiny did not want to play it are back playing it and they're loving it. So I, I want to at least, I got to air it as something that is bothers me a little bit, but ultimately if that's a sacrifice that a player like me has to make in order for the game to be better overall, I mean, I, I suppose I can, I can, I can make that right. And, and totally be okay with it. And ultimately it's not my decision anyway. It's Bungie's. But I want to at least be, uh, I want to think about it the right way. Right? So I don't, I don't personally like it very much. It doesn't feel good to me. But I think it is probably for the best of the game. What else did I dislike? Man, these new heroic strikes are really punishing. Um, they are unrewarding. And the modifiers feel straight unfair. Here are some of the examples of these modifiers. You don't have radar. And you die immediately to melee attacks. You have modifiers that are, you, know, your, you have your damage burn, which is always active. There's always one, mo one enter or one, uh, whatever you call it, element that is uh, favored, gets extra damage. Then you have another modifier like, uh, today's was iron. This was like the least bad one that we had this week. And it was essentially, every enemy has more health and can't be staggered. 
that one's nothing. That's cake. That is like I had I actually had fun in heroic strikes today for the first time this whole week. Um, one of the other ones was you have half health and half shields, which essentially means every enemy does double damage to you, but you recover your health faster, which is not enough. That's so frustrating. This has been just such a such a frustrating experience. I love strikes so much, and I hate heroic strikes so much. This is definitely coupled by the fact, and I'll get into this in a sec, that there is definitely a bug right now that is making heroic strikes even more miserable than they already would be without this. But I didn't, I think one of the things that's frustrating is I wasn't one of the people that was calling for a, uh, for modifiers, but there were a lot of people that were. Well, these modifiers are tough as nails, and I think some of it has to do with the strike design more than it has to do with these modifiers being way out of line in terms of what Bungie has made prior. They had light switch before, where you died immediately to a melee attack. They had chaff, where you didn't have any radar. They had weeks where you had two negative modifiers. They've had stuff with no staggering enemies. They've had stuff with some of these different changes. So it's not like they've not done modifiers like this, but I think the strike design, coupled with the gameplay sandbox, with two primaries and a heavy, and just the way that the, the thing works, has created a very frustrating experience with these heroic strikes. They are hard. And they're not just hard because their level is high, although it is. They're hard because these modifiers are just unbelievably difficult to go through. And when I say unbelievably difficult, I don't mean that they can't be done. I, I'm at the point, though, where I am not doing this with matchmade people anymore. I, I'm so sick of people who I'm getting matchmade with having no concept whatsoever of these modifiers. And they are so demanding that you focus on them, that you know what the burn is and play the proper weapons and subclass that match it so you can receive a benefit from it. That you go in and, and you're actually focused on, on accomplishing the objectives and you're wary of the disadvantages that you have so that you know that there's melee characters that can one-shot you, so that you know that your power ammo does double damage, so you use it. It's that kind of thing that drives me nuts to watch characters that are using the wrong gear using the wrong strategies, putting themselves in the wrong situations, and hurting the whole fire team as a result of it. It makes these things nearly impossible to do by yourself. It's so frustrating. And and I think that the heroic strikes, like I said, it, it pulls it away from being something that you would even dare to go in by yourself. And I won't. I'm done trying to do these things solo. And even when you're doing it with one person you can trust and be on comms with, this, there's times where I was playing tonight. And this one blueberry, blueberry is uh, kind of the slang for somebody whose nameplate is blue because they're not a part of your fire team. People in your fire team are uh, have a green tag. The blueberry is hitting, shooting the boss and ignoring all the enemies when the boss is going to take away all the cover when he gets to a certain threshold of health and then all the enemies are just going to annihilate us because they have extra damage and we can't stagger them. This guy literally ruined the strike for us. It's so infuriating. And, and he was using, by the way, we'll just go with this. His loadout was subclass, not matching the, the elemental burn. Um, you know, elemental weapon, not matching the elemental burn. Heavy weapon, not matching the elemental burn. He was never in cover. He was always dying. I had over six times the amount of kills that he had. With the level of difficulty these things bring, 
you almost wish they would have just made you do fire team. <laughs> it's just so, so punishing. And I think this gets into the larger issue that many of the much of the community has had with heroic strikes is that they are unrewarding. Now I understand why they did this. The new leveling system stipulates that once you hit that soft cap, the only way to progress is by completing milestones. One of the milestones is doing three heroic strikes. I think that makes sense. I'm fine with them not giving me gear that's at my current light because otherwise people would farm it and then they would be able to get into Spire, you know, Spire of Stars and they would crush it like they have before. They would crush Escalation Protocol in the first week. I'm fine with this. There are benefits. These are all contingent on other systems. I get it. But what you get out of Heroic Strikes is like nothing compared to the amount of effort you have to put in to try to, to conquer it. They're harder than the Nightfall. Like, not just by a little bit. They're harder than, by the, than the Nightfall a lot. We were going to do the Prestige Nightfall because it's easy compared to this Heroic Strike set. And now the Prestige Nightfall, and I'll get into this in a sec, could be more difficult. But it doesn't have to be. The Heroic Strikes, you only get, there's one size fits all very hard and and it's this is really largely due to the negative modifier and the positive modifier occasionally being just not in harmony at all it's very frustrating and this gets back to one of my biggest complaints overall is that blueberries are so frustrating to play with now and your team matters so much i mentioned before that the game is skewed now away from catering towards people that are just kind of playing by themselves and now it is really catering towards being in a team. And this even, like one of the examples of this, there's a new public event called the Warset public event. And the way that you trigger the heroic version is by not capturing the point. You have to capture it a little bit, and then it'll spawn some wizards. You kill the wizards, you kill their, their attached shrieker. And what'll happen is that that mechanic is time-gated. And so if you have a fire team of two dudes, or you got one dude who is oblivious to this, and he just captures the point the whole time. You will not get the heroic event. And it's those kinds of things. It makes you hate these random players. The heroic strikes, I've already mentioned. The crucible ranking system makes you hate your teammates that you're not playing with that you don't know, right? These things make it so that I think that one of the things that's so special about Destiny is that you have a positive relationship with the people that you are playing with. You want each other to succeed. You have a desire to do that. And there's not usually a lot of opportunity for you to screw each other over. And now there kind of is. Not directly, but indirectly. And so you see these players that don't know what they're doing. And it makes you, I, I, I've almost pulled up and messaged people. And not, not in a mean way, but just in like, dude, do this, do this, do this. Please help. Stop hurting the team. And because everything is skewed more towards fire teams, it is now so infuriating to play with people who don't know what they're doing, that are just randos, that are that are just match made in with you. Um, this continues to go on with something I don't like in the new Nightfall card. It feels overly complex, it feels purposeless, and needlessly punishing. The amount of modifiers that you can place in there, and, and even the, the modifier bump that you get just for doing it on, her, on, on Prestige is not substantial. I like the old card better. I haven't really done a lot with this new prestige thing, but I don't feel like there's a great motivation to get a high score. I almost want to just turn on the, all the positive buffs, get no points, complete the activity. Do it on normal. It ultimately seems like 
it doesn't have it doesn't seem to meaningfully impact drop rates of gear and there's no real reason to pursue it unless you just want to go after a high score for that it's more complex seems almost needlessly complex. Maybe I'll learn about it and everything will be better. I could be wrong about that. I will totally give it that. But it's on the surface of something I don't I don't like this change. Escalation protocol. Let's talk about this for I don't know, a couple minutes. I'm baffled by this activity. It seems unfair, unrewarding, and too demanding. It is demoralizing, it is unapproachable, and it is des- it seems designed around 6 to 9 people. It seems designed around fire teams working together. You know how people have been able to clear this thing? Streamers have gotten people to match into instances together, basically just trying, rolling the dice, trying to match into instances with each other, and then all inviting, and then passing the lead so that they can hold one instance for literally hours and hours and hours farming this thing until everybody gets their chance to do it. And even with nine people, they can't always do it. We were like, I mean, granted, we were pretty far under leveled. We were like, 350s but we had eight people and we couldn't beat level two of level of seven levels it seems designed around having multiple fire teams working together and if that's the case why not just set aside a new a new area that you can just match in with six people or nine people or whatever so that you could just do it there and not have it connected to this public space you feel bad by just abandoning them. But when people start this up, I turn around and run the other way because I tried for, you know, multiple hours where I'd see it going on. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to try and help out. And one of the things that's so frustrating is that it starts at 270. And I understand it's an end game. It's an end game thing, but it's an end game activity that doesn't award any meaningful drops that increase your level until level seven. Otherwise you're just getting legendaries or blues or tokens up until level seven. So why not reduce the difficulty of the lower tiers so that players who are moving by, if it's really designed to be something that players can join in, if it's designed to be something that's in a public space where everybody can participate, why not reduce the difficulty so that when people try it the first time, they don't get their faces melted off. That when they try it with a group of eight people, that they don't just get obliterated I feel like this activity, it feels unfair. It feels unrewarding. It's demoralizing. I don't want to do this activity. It's a waste of my time. And ultimately, the fact that no meaningful loot is given until wave seven, and to do that, you have to charge a key, which means you have to do other hard activities to even have a chance to get the item. And there's a rare drop chance for for the weapons, which people want. Why not just make it its own thing? This doesn't seem to contribute in any meaningful way to public people moving around. Now, I could be totally wrong when we all level up and it might be valuable and useful then. But for right now, it's just, it doesn't make sense to me. I also really hate, this is another thing I really hate. I feel like we moved past this. We moved past this when in Crota, the only thing that made it hard was that all the enemies were level 33 and you couldn't get higher than 32. And Skolas was crazy difficult because all the enemies were 35 and you couldn't get above 34. I thought we were past this. This activity scales up to 400. The cap for the players, 385. I I think that's ridiculous. If you have to make something difficult by just increasing the, the level, the delta scaling, that's not harder. That's not meaningful. 
we we spent we had like I said we had eight people we're trying to kill this wizard and we are like using every trick in the book we're tethering we're using melting point we're using tractor cannon and we're just trying to burn this thing down and with eight of us for two minutes just dumping everything we have into this boss we did two-thirds of its health that's not fun it's not empowering it's not enjoyable don't just juice their health bars make it meaningful make it more difficult because of mechanics make it more difficult because you have to work together in meaningful ways but even then this is supposed to be an activity where you're just kind of working with randoms so i understand it can't be that way but find another way why put something that is clearly not designed for solo players in a public space? It just frustrates me to no end. It's just not necessary. I'm not happy with Escalation Protocol, and maybe I will enjoy it as I level up. But as for right now, I am not participating in this stupid event. I don't like it. Um, one of the things that was frustrating as we kind of moved through, and this is the last thing I'll mention, is that the bugs were really frustrating in, the, in this expansion. And I know bugs are an inevitability. I know that you have to have bugs in order to create something great, right? They're working their hardest to make this thing as good as they can. They had to scale back a couple features because they weren't coming out right. But they were really frustrating, and they especially were, were bad with the heroic strikes. And even the fact that they posted online that they had you know, the frequently asked questions where they said, this is how you can mitigate this issue, they didn't include a very important thing, which maybe wasn't discovered at the time, but it's still not in the document to my knowledge, which is that if you pop a boon in a strike, it won't, it'll cause a strike not to count, and you'll still have to do it with all the modifiers. I learned that one the hard way, and via Twitter and stuff. The bugs were frustrating especially the ones that were related to progression. They also had to disable Rat King because it caused it broke the whole the whole game. Now it's good that they disabled it to maintain the integrity of of the raid, but um that bugs are always frustrating. I appreciate their hard work in trying to get those solved and taken care of. I appreciate the difficulty of of making a game. I appreciate that it's it's hard to make that happen and make it work. But it wasn't fun. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. That brings us to our overall impressions. Warmind is a great expansion for Destiny 2. You might not think so because I ranted and raved for like 20 minutes, <laughs> but I liked it. I'm having a good time. I literally stayed up till like 3 in the morning multiple times this week playing this thing. It sends the game in a direction that seems to really cater toward the hardcore hobbyist social player. Now, that's it kind of hits me and it kind of doesn't. As a hobbyist, but not always a social player, I play the, at the amount of a hardcore, but I don't play it the way that a hardcore player does, engaging with the most intensely difficult stuff. It's a step back in my enjoyment, but it's a step forward in my engagement. I'll say that again. This concoction that they've developed is a step backward in my enjoyment. My moment-to-moment -moment in Destiny 2 is less fun. But it is a step forward in my engagement. I'm more engaged. I've sunk more time in this game than I have, I think, since it came out. I'm more invested in my character, in my growth, in my progression. Those steps of progression are more meaningful. That means it's probably a net positive, even for me. The memories and the good feelings 
are really, really strong. But in part because the way that they've designed this thing is that it dares to make you feel bad. I think my evaluation of the game exemplifies this. I raved for 25 minutes about things I loved about this expansion. And then I raved for 20 minutes and ranted about things I was very upset about. This mixture has historically been one of the things that has hooked me and others to Destiny. Destiny 2, at its launch, sought to make everyone feel good. It accomplished it. But the fact that you felt good provided an essentially too even an experience. And that experience then caused you to feel bad because nothing was significant. They're back to the old destiny ways, I think. You feel the, the good feelings are really strong, really powerful. The bad feelings, pretty strong too. Seems to be the right move. But I'm already getting nostalgic for last week when I ran a bazillion nightfalls. Seems perhaps an overcorrection, but time will tell. That's my overall impressions of Warmind. I really enjoyed it, um, but I think it's a double-edged sword. We'll see kind of how it ends up, and uh, and I, I want to talk about this a little bit more at length, even the trajectory of this, right, and, the, and where it's going. And we'll do that this next week with Dreadnought. I mentioned this next week, midweek, about Warmind. We're going to talk about it. So look for that. It could be next week, could be the week after, but I want to have a conversation with him. We'll try to see if I can figure out how to get my mic to record two people at once. It'll be great. So, that was the game of the week. What else have I been playing? Well, Slay the Spire. I did a lot of this on Monday before Warmind dropped and had a great time. I I just cannot get enough. This Slay the Spire game is fantastic. I hope that you'll try it out if you have not yet. They continue to release updates and one specifically that came out on Thursday, I've not even tried this out yet. I might play a couple of games before I go to bed tonight, but it's pretty late, so maybe not. There's a new patch this week. It dramatically overhauls potions. I am very excited to play this. Um, they basically made the potions on a rarity system. They made the prices for purchasing them at shops more regulated. They have other uh, relics that are going to buff and increase your ability to use certain potions in certain ways. It's great. If you don't know what Slay the Spire is, I've been raving about it for weeks. It's great. It is a dungeon crawler, deck building, roguelike game. You should check it out 100%. It's fantastic. Really great game. Also, I did play a little bit of Puzzle and Dragons. This is the first time I'm mentioning it on the show, so I'll talk about it a little bit. Puzzle and Dragons is a mobile free-to-play game that is a, it's kind of like Candy Crush. I know as soon as I say it, you're going to roll your eyes. Hear me out. But it is an RPG like similar to Pokemon in which instead of a game like Candy Crush where you just flip two orbs and you can totally get screwed by RNG, this game is very skill-based where you can pick up an orb and move it anywhere on the board. You're trying to match into threes, but any orb you pass through, you displace, meaning that skilled players can create seven or eight matches by moving and rearranging the board with the five seconds that they have. In addition to this, you have monsters, characters that you level up, that you evolve into other forms that have special abilities and passives and that have all kinds of different elements that have different mechanics with them. And this game is very mechanically heavy. 
Um, it's got its issues, but I've really, I've invested a lot of time in this. I've played it like for two years. I took a huge break from it for about probably four or five months, maybe six months. Dang. Yeah. About six months. Well, they just released a huge update on Tuesday. I want to try this out. I have a friend who I play, I play this game with and, uh, they, they added some systems that seem really good. I am very interested in trying them out. So I'm going to do that and I'll let you know what I think next week. Uh, I kind of dipped my toe in, got some of the free rewards that came out, and I'm looking forward to playing some more of that. That's really all I played. Uh, it was really a week focused on Warmind and on Destiny 2. Um, I hope you're enjoying what you're hearing. I hope you've enjoyed this show. We did break an hour. Tried not to do it, but I did it. And uh, my hope is that you have uh, enjoyed this discussion and enjoyed the opportunity to uh, to check this out. You can reach out to me on Twitter uh, via JR Meaden, which is my Twitter handle, or Random Joe Show, all one word, and I'll get uh, your feedback on the show that way. I'd love to get a chance to chat with you about it. Game of the week next week, as I said before, is going to be Into the Breach, which I believe is only out for PC at the moment, turn-based strategy game by the makers of FTL. And this week, or in the week afterwards, is going to be an Xbox One Games with Gold game. Vanquish. This is a game that came out for the 360. It recently came out for PC. I've always wanted to play this, but never got a chance to. It's some kind of crazy mech action game or something. So we'll try it out. We'll see how it goes. It's made by Platinum Games, who are largely considered to be kind of at the pinnacle of that genre. So it should be fun. I haven't played many of those types of games. I'm looking forward to trying it out. Well, that's going to do it for me. I'm exhausted from all this Destiny 2. I'm ready to go to bed. And hopefully I will learn my lesson and sleep some more and thus enjoy life better. But I'll let you know next Saturday. It's probably not likely. Also remember that conversation with Dreadnought about Warmind should be coming up next week if I can get it all worked out. So watch out for that as well. In the meantime, though, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a fantastic week gaming.